0: Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Well, good morning again, MCC. Guy, remembers remember this little thing called the power button. Have to turn that on. So, we're so excited to be with you all, those who are in the building, those who are watching us online. God has absolutely been faithful, and we're excited to continue into this series, The Trees of Christmas. So, it's interesting that the Christmas story is a really beautiful story, right? We, we could we could agree that it's a beautiful story. Uh, I mean, it's been told virtually every corner of the world, and probably in almost every language, Ms. Gail, but... You guys know the story, you know, Mary and Joseph and the little town of Bethlehem, right? You know, the angels, the the shepherds, uh, the wise men, uh, some call them magi, right? Of course, there's King Herod, the guy that was willing to do everything he thought he could or would do to protect his throne. Yet of all of the images and people and angels and visitors, one thing we don't quite see in the Christmas story is the very thing we see everywhere at Christmas. We see it in shopping malls, in, in homes. We see it, Chuck, we see it at the White House, in the White House, we see it everywhere we think. We see it all through the course of the movie Christmas Vacation, who does not like that movie, right? What am I talking about? I'm talking about the Christmas tree, Pierre. It seems that Christmas trees are found everywhere at Christmas, except in the very story which started it all. Yeah, the story of the birth of Jesus, the Savior of the world. Yet before we decide this matter too quickly, let's remember a few things mentioned last weekend, right? That trees are found everywhere throughout the Bible. We find trees at the beginning in the book of Genesis, at Calvary, where Jesus hung on a tree between two other trees. Uh Uh-huh. We find a tree at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, which describes the very future reality for every true follower of Jesus. Perhaps we aren't looking hard enough or deeply enough, so we miss the various Christmas trees in scripture uh, that stand taller and stronger and wider than any pre-lit Christmas tree that we could ever buy from Walmart or Home Depot. <laughs> Or any of the real trees, some of us like real trees, any of the real trees that you can get and cut down at a tree farm. While we tend to focus only on the Christmas tree within our own homes at Christmas, in the Bible, there are several. And I'm glad you're paying attention today uh, because I'm going to walk you through that and we're going to talk about it a little bit. My point is, at Christmas, we shouldn't limit ourselves to only the view focusing on the Christmas tree, but rather we should focus on the Christmas trees. Yeah, I say trees as they are plural in nature. That's why last weekend we examined the Christmas tree found in Isaiah. That tree both focused on Jesus and the multi-ethnic family that God desires to grow. Today I want to focus on a related Christmas tree, clearly found in scripture known as the family tree. Yeah, see long before there was an Ancestry.com, there were various genealogies that recorded, uh, that were recorded both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it shouldn't surprise us that when it comes to Jesus, we find not just one family tree, but two. In Matthew one, we find one, and in Luke three, we find another. See, the truth is, back in Bible times, a well-researched and cataloged family tree helped to ensure things like uh, the proper sale of land. See, it helped to ensure that whoever owned the land, whatever tribe owned the land, that another tribe could not buy it or own it. The priesthood, see, genealogy helped determine the rightful line of succession to the throne. There was always a priest associated with the king and a kingdom and a prophet as well. And of course, there's the Messiah. See, genealogy helped prepare the people to be able to recognize the true Messiah when he showed up. A writer wrote this. It's interesting to note that the Christmas story does not begin with the words once upon a time, as so many fairy tales do. It starts with a series of begots, So-and-so begot so-and-so. This is because the Christmas story is a factual, historical event. It still has all the pathos and, and magic and pageantry of the best fairy tales, yet it's a real story. All other stories we've heard are at best pale imitations of the greatest story ever told. The story of the birth of Jesus started in heaven and unfolded right here on earth. The first family tree, which led to Jesus, is found in the Gospel of Matthew. Luke also describes the Jesus family tree um, slightly different. How so, you might ask. See, in Luke 3 and 23 through 38, I'm not going to read all those, we find a list of 76 men or 76 forerunners of Jesus. And two ladies in the room or watching online, don't get too upset because I said 76 men. See, in Middle Eastern countries and in Middle Eastern family trees, they always include the list of men and not the women by cultural habit, tradition, okay? Likewise, Luke is quite honest about the men who preceded Jesus and those that led to the birth of Jesus. While Matthew did much of the same, (laughs) he listed laudable men and respectable men, uh, but he includes some others. You know, he included Abraham. We, we know the story of Abraham. We know that he was a great man of faith. No one would ever argue that, but he was also a liar who gave his own wife to be taken into Pharaoh's harem in Egypt and later as a part of, of Abimelech's harem in Gerar. Then there's Isaac. He did much the same as his father. See, Isaac not only forced his wife to lie, but he also showed favoritism between his two sons. And while both men did some bad things, a great deal of good did result from their lives. Remember, God can use anyone, and often we forget that. Like I said, it was customary to include only men in a family tree. Yet, when you look a little bit deeper, we find that Matthew does something that's both radical and redemptive in the family tree he provides. For along with a list of 40 male forerunners of Jesus that Matthew lists, he also includes five women. And not just any women, mind you, but he includes women who do not necessarily fit with the norms of society. Now, a lot of the women featured in the Bible are kind of walk-on characters, if you will, Miss Joan. Uh, they don't re- we don't really get much background about them. We don't really know much about them. We don't, uh, they don't get much screen time, if you will. Like, we don't see a ton about them. Like Hannah, for example, who, who prayed when she was provoked instead of punching her aggressor in the face. But let's take a look at the five women Matthew mentions and the clues that lie behind them. We'll call them, for the sake of this uh, sermon today, the women forerunners of Jesus. See, first there's Tamar. Yeah. See, Tamar is found in the book of Genesis. We find Tamar in a most unsettling situation based on that culture. See, she was unable to produce an heir for her husband. And a barren wife in that time was, and that time and culture, was a shame to the family. To make matters even worse, Tamar's husband suddenly died. Now, the custom of that time mandated that if a barren wife suddenly became a widow, the deceased husband's brother was expected to marry her. This was called a levirate marriage. And the instructions for such are found uh, entangled in and outlined in in this scripture here. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must marry, must not marry, excuse me, outside of the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brothers so that his name would not be blotted out from Israel. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders, you guys sitting down? Okay. (laughs) At the town gate and say, my husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him if he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her. His brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, This is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. It's kind of, yes. Kind of tough to think about, right? I mean, you're sitting there going, did she just spit in his face? Right? But as mandated by scripture, Tamar was quickly married to the second brother. Unfortunately, Alan, he also died. Anybody seeing a pattern here yet? Uh Uh-huh. Sadly, if another brother existed in the family, he must marry Tamar. Good news is such a brother existed. The problem was he was too young to marry. And listen, I'm betting that that other brother, that third brother was kind of happy he was too young to marry. I mean, are there any men sitting in a room that would have been rushing to marry Tamar at this point? I mean, it's kind of like playing tag. I would have been yelling, not it. Everybody around Tamar seemed to pass away. But Judah, the father-in-law promised Tamar that his third son would marry her when he became of age. Yet, when the son became of age, he said, not it, and he refused to marry her. Anybody surprised? But this left Tamar in a horrible position. What would she do? Well, Tamar devised a wicked plan and strategy that actually worked. See, she knew that her father-in-law would travel a certain road at a certain day all the time. So she dressed like a woman of ill repute, or maybe I should say a lady of the night, or maybe you'd prefer me to call her a sidewalk hostess. Yet my point, but my point is she she did this and she set herself up to look like something that she wasn't. And then she covered her face and she waited for him to pass by. Then here comes Judah. He approaches and then he offers her a goat for her services. Yeah, dramatic pause. Tamar asked for his staff and his signet ring as a guarantee that he would keep his promise. Judah then slept with her and she became pregnant. Afterwards, he sent the goat to her, but no one could find where this mysterious woman lived. Remember, they don't know that this is Tamar. When Judah discovered that Tamar was pregnant, which brought shame upon the family, he demanded that she be killed by burning her alive. While being dragged to her death, she sent a message to Judah along with the ring and his staff he had previously given her and she, she uttered these words in that message. I am pregnant by the man who owns these. And at that moment, Judah realized he was the guilty party. By the laws of that day, both Tamar and Judah should have been stoned for incest. But instead, Tamar was allowed to live and eventually gave birth to twins. The results of this encounter with Tamar is that we have a Gentile deceiver listed as an ancestor of Jesus. Yet Jesus' family tree gets even more interesting and it leads us to Rahab. Rahab is known well throughout the Bible as a promiscuous woman, and because of that, she didn't have a good reputation. We read about Rahab in, or we read about Rahab in chapter uh, 2 of Joshua. She lived in Jericho. Many of you know the story. And she lived there during the time that Joshua, the leader of the Israelites, desired to conquer the city. So in preparation, Joshua sends two spies, right? He's following Moses' lead from the promised land, except Joshua just sent two. Okay? And of all the places that these spies could choose or find to stay is that rabbi at, at Rahab's home when word reached the king of Jericho that spies had somehow entered the city and perhaps were lodging in Rahab's home he sent this message to Rahab bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land now Rahab was not only promiscuous she was also a liar So while still hiding these two spies in her home, she responded to the king by saying this. Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up to them. Now, the funny part in that, is she doesn't know which way they went, but go after them quickly because I'm sure you'll catch up to them. Yeah, that was the part. I, I chuckled a little bit when I was reading this for studying. But after the soldiers left, and get this, then they leave and do what she said. Rahab met with the spies and pleaded with them. See, knowing that because of the God he served, Joshua had the power to overtake the city, she stated this. She said, now then... Please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. The spies agreed to save her life and her family's life and they left. So the results of this encounter of Rahab is that a Gentile promiscuous woman risked her own life because she believed in the power of God. She believed in that power more than the power of her own people. Subsequently, this Gentile woman was of a disrespectful livelihood, but of a respectful faith. Let me say that again. This Gentile woman was of a disrespectful livelihood, But of a respectful faith. And because of that respectful faith, she is listed as a part of Jesus' family tree. Then there's Ruth. Ruth was a Gentile who lived in a place called Moab. One day, a Jewish family moved uh, to her town, and, and Ruth married one of their sons, and eventually, both sons died. They were left behind their mother. Naomi, and these two daughters-in-law. The mother Naomi made plans to move close to her relatives who lived in Bethlehem. Now, Ruth knew that the only way she could survive was to move back with Naomi, even though the other daughter-in-law decided to stay behind. Mm Mm-hmm. Sam, Ruth then exclaimed the following words to her mother-in-law. She said, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely if even death separates you and me. Many have heard this used uh perhaps during a wedding ceremony bid me not to leave you she's begging sam she said don't make me go away she Said, i can't go back there because if i go back there i won't survive so so mother-in-law please take me with you let me stay with you so ruth chose to leave behind her own people and the religion that she knew in order to embrace the true god of israel so soon after they arrived at bethlehem <laughs> Ruth caught the attention of a certain man named Boaz, Uh a relative on her husband's side. He urged her not to go in the fields and was expected, as it was expected of other women to do. Rather, he said this. He said, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth could see and she could sense then that Boaz cared for her. And she could sense this with all of her heart. So Ruth went to Boaz one night. While he was sleeping and quietly uncovered his feet, which eventually woke him, when he saw her, Ruth told him, I am your servant, Ruth, she said, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer means a male relative who had the privilege to act on the behalf of a relative who was either in trouble or in danger. Like Tamar that we talked about a little while ago, Ruth was also seeking a liberate marriage. Because of her noble character, along with her faith and her integrity, Boaz eventually married Ruth and they would experience a beautiful life together. The truth of Ruth's story is that David would not have been born if it were not for Ruth. King David, that is. The results... We have a, Jew, a Gentile woman who, due to her courage and commitment, became an ancestor of Jesus. And while Ruth, being part of his family tree, might not trouble many of you and you go, not too bad. Ah, this next person I'm going to talk about just might a little bit. In comes Bathsheba. Little has changed over the past 2,000 years. Middle Eastern women are very modest about exposing their bodies. In fact, even in the West today, we find or will find often such women dressed in the following types of headdresses. So with this thought in mind, most are surprised by the actions embraced by Bathsheba or seemingly embraced by Bathsheba as we get further into this snippet of this story. But let's take a closer look at what really happened. I want to present two perspectives to you today for your consideration I want you to lean in and stay with me so that I don't lose you. See, perspective one that is taught and, and shared is that, that many say Bathsheba waited for her husband to be away while serving on military duty so that she could take a bath in front of an open window. It was like she was plotting to do it. So with her husband away on business and in plain view of King David, Bathsheba disrobes and takes a bath for his viewing pleasure. It's perspective one. Now in ancient Jerusalem, Only the most powerful and the richest people would have uh, homes, Sam, with second and third levels. And with these levels, um, it was really easy to kind of gaze over and see what was happening privately in people's homes. Today, people just use telescopes and cameras. Okay. Perspective two. Is it not common for people to take baths? I mean... Every window back in that day was an open window, wasn't it? You do know that that the reason that there is usually a ceremonial drape over the communion table uh, when it's done uh, in traditional ways is because the temples back then had open windows. And the priests used the canvases to keep the flies out of the wine. Yeah, open windows. And did Bathsheba build her own home? Did she, put, did she design it and say, I want the bathroom on the top and put the tub out there near the window? Hmm. Perhaps the most important questions we should be asking is, why was King David not away with the army? Was he not? Is it not historically and biblically known that King David always led his army? Was he not a great warrior? I'm not blaming. I'm just asking a question. Did Bathsheba assume no one would see her because she expected all the men to be away in battle? We don't really know. So David does see her. And what does he do in response? He notices her beauty among her other things. He sent someone to find out more details about her. Then he sent for her. He slept with her and then she became pregnant. he arranged for her husband to be placed on the front line where he would surely meet death. Then David marries Bathsheba, even though he already had three wives. This story is a classic example, in my opinion, of a powerful man and a powerless woman. Remember what was going on in ancient kingdoms. Study it, understand it. A king could kill anyone who disobeyed him. Mm Mm-hmm. So Bathsheba had no rights and she had no choice. Did she resist, beg, or comply? We don't know. We only know that David could do whatever he wanted to do as king. So David sins. And now he's far removed from the God who celebrated him and lifted him and promoted him. Because of his actions, he's been removed from God's presence. And although their first child died, they eventually have a son together and name him Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Isn't it it funny how we can create complete chaos in our lives and impact and hurt the people around us? And somehow when the smoke clears and the dust settles, God will get glory from it. Finally, we have Mary. (laughs) Mary, of course, was a lowly peasant girl. We know that. She found favor with God to be granted the opportunity to be the earth mother of the son of God. Who would become, who would be born to us, Jesus, the savior of the world mary was humble she was pure she was obedient she was courageous and i dare say she was even saintly so as we review these five women i have this question why would matthew buck the trend of culture and include the names of five women in the genealogy of christmas i mean of jesus at christmas great question you guys know i like good questions Kenneth Bailey gives us three powerful reasons and I'll be out of your way. Jesus' family tree explains why. Jesus included both men and women as his disciples. Mm -hmm. Matthew included both women and men in his family tree as a sign of the new kingdom of God. Jesus came to bring. The apostle Paul would later state it this way. So in Christ Jesus... You are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither male nor female. In a world that only seems to esteem men, Jesus esteemed all. Mm-hmm. Second point, Jesus included both Jews and Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Matthew wrote Jesus' his family as he did because all the men were Jewish. Remember, Jesus was a Jew. And the only way to include Gentiles was to list some of the women whom God used to make a way for Jesus. Tamar, Ruth, and Rahab were all Gentiles, while Bathsheba was initially married to a Gentile. By including them in the family tree of Jesus, Matthew provides us with a beautiful pair of bookends. See, he begins by mentioning Gentiles because Jesus would eventually command all of his followers to reach a Gentile world in his name. And he will state this as the charge for them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. MCC, I charge you today to go, make, and teach. Go, make, and teach. This is what Jesus has commanded for us to do. And the Apostle Paul would later state it this way. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Last point, Jesus includes both saints and sinners. Yeah, someone should be grateful right there. It is here that we must all stand up and take notice. See, Tamar deceived her father-in-law and slept with him. Rahab was a woman of questionable reputation. Bathsheba's future children would be raised within a context of manipulation and competition and cover-up. Ruth was honorable, faithful, and courageous. Mary was saintly, humble, and pure. And if we're paying attention within each Woman, we see a bit of truth within ourselves. We are all capable of being deceivers and liars and adulterers and manipulators and murderers and cheaters and hypocrites. But even so, we are all capable also of being honorable, faithful, humble, and pure. You see, the family tree of Jesus included people like me so he could redeem people like me. You should say that to yourself. The family tree of Jesus included people like me so that he can redeem people like me. Jesus came at Christmas to minister to people who identified with the former but have potential to live like the latter. Due to his atoning work in and through our lives, we love him and we thank him. Many have sinned and need comfort. And many have sinned and need to be confronted like the prophet Nathan confronted David. My party question is, are you truly aware that your sin separates you from fellowship with God? David knew this to his core, that his sin would separate him from fellowship with God. So he prayed these words. He said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. I want to give you an opportunity to have your sins washed away today. Pray with me. Father, we come to you as humbly as we know how. To say thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy. For your compassion, moreover for your forgiveness, Father, we we beg even now for your forgiveness for the sins we've committed, the sin that I've committed, Father. Father, we pray even now in the name of your son, Jesus, that you give us the strength and the courage to turn away, to repent and walk in the right way. Father, perhaps we're in our broken place. Perhaps we're in that place where, where, we, where we're the most broken. But, but Father, we pray that you cut us away from the things that would not bring you pleasure. We Cut us away from the things that would not uh, give you joy in our lives. Cut us away from the things that would separate us from your love and from fellowship with you, even now in the name of Jesus. Because even as sinners, Father, you died for us. So Father, help us to understand how to be in true relationship with you. Make us better. Help us do better. Forgive us for any hurt we've caused, all the hurt we've caused. In the name of your son, Jesus, we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.